Hi, and welcome to Talk Health. My name's Tom, and here's the thing. There's so much information out there about what you can do for your health that it's overwhelming. Change is really hard, but I'll tell you a secret. No one is perfect. You don't have to be perfect to improve your health, thank goodness. So, I wanna hear what changes you are making to move yourself closer to your health goals. These can be big changes, but more importantly, they can be really small. The key is, they're real. I'll be talking to real people, making real changes in their lives. And today, I'm talking to Chris. If you listened to last week's episode, we talked a little bit about insulin resistance and diabetes. Today, we're gonna to discuss more about diabetes and how difficult it can be to manage. We'll touch on how stress can impact your food choices, how tricky an erratic work schedule can be, and also what Chris wishes she knew many years ago. All right, let's jump in. I might not have been able to prevent the diabetes, but I could have been a little bit more prepared for it than it slapping me in the face the way it did because I kind of found out because I passed out at work and went to the hospital and my sugar was 674. My name is Chris. I am, uh, or I will be 50 in less than three weeks. I am a insulin dependent uh, type two diabetic. I have extremely high cholesterol. And of course, um, I'm a bit overweight, but I am fortunately I'm not obese, but I still have my weight issues. So sorry to interrupt, but I want to use this opportunity to bring up the issue with using BMI and really weight in general as a marker of health. I know it's hard because as a medical provider, this is something that we have to track and check every time that you come into the office and then we harass you about it. The issue is that the BMI is not a good marker of health for everyone. It can actually be misleading and place some people in a higher risk category than they should be. But it also misses many people who are quote-unquote normal weight, but metabolically unhealthy. Suffice to say, it's hard, and I do not have the answers. Though, getting routine labs to know what's going on inside your body might be a good idea. Anyways, just some frustrated commentary for you, and on that note, we will return to your regularly scheduled program. I've seen several doctors over the years, and a lot of the times they tell me, oh, it's all in your head, you know, there's nothing really wrong with you. You know, I hit 40, I want to say 42, 43 years old, and I was diagnosed with diabetes. And the first doctors I had just kind of just threw their arms up the air because I couldn't follow their strict regimen of eating and my schedules I had to eat at a certain time I had to do this I had to do that and I couldn't do that because of my work schedule and so they kind of threw their arms up and just refused to really work with me my A1C when I first came to Colorado was 12.9 
I actually uh, started on insulin again and got everything. And within eight months, I had it down to 6.9. And then all of a sudden, I had to move. Went back to Oklahoma. That was a mistake. Got down there. I couldn't get medicine. I couldn't afford my insulin. So I did without my insulin for almost seven months. And honestly, I was amazed when I come back to Colorado. The first thing they did was my A1C, and it was only 7.6. So apparently, me keeping an eye on my diet, my husband and I working together, keeping my carb levels down, my sugar intake down, kept me from going out of way out there with my, my blood sugar. Whoa, 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 whoa. Chris is stuck without medication, and the sugars are almost as good as when she was using insulin. That's impressive. Let's see what that looked like in her day-to-day life, implementing the changes needed to keep her sugars low. I was working, same place I'm working at now, just different location. Um, But I got to where I packed my own lunches and I did more Instead of eating bread and and sugary stuff for lunch and stuff, I would have a vegetables. I would have you know some tomatoes and some lettuce and just like a veggie tray or a little bit of meat and cheese. But I didn't do the a whole lot of breads. I cut I cut my sodas out, not completely. So sorry, Tom. I just can't get away from my Dr. Peppers. <laughs> but I have cut considerably down on my Dr. Peppers uh, in a little over a year ago I was drinking mm, I'd say a case of sodas every three days and now I buy a 35 pack of 12 ounce cans and it lasts me a month you know so I'm down to the you know one 12 ounce soda instead of five or six when I do take, drink sweet tea, I've gotten it where I make a, a gallon of tea with a third of a cup of sugar. And my husband and I both will drink that. And we've gotten to where we eat a lot more proteins, less breads, less sweets. I'll get on a sweet kick every once in a while. I'll just want something sweet I just can't do without. And then I pay the price, but, you know. You know, it's only once in a great while I do it. My sugar would be so high that my my machine, my blood sugar machine would say hi. And it wasn't the good kind of high. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't saying hello to me. It was telling me, hello, your sugar's too high. You need to go to the hospital. (laughs) Yeah, not the good kind of high indeed. But Chris has identified her triggers, sweets, so she knows to be prepared. This is a great time to bring up a theme of this podcast, which is progress, not perfection. Unless it's an emergency, then you should definitely progress yourself right to the hospital. But if it's not an emergency, give yourself some grace. Be realistic with your expectations. Remember the attainable part to our SMART goals. If you're totally confused about what I'm referring to, go back and check out episode one. All right, the difficulty with identifying our specific triggers is... Sometimes we don't even notice the fluctuations in things like blood sugar or blood pressure. 
Oh no, I've I could feel it. I told my I would tell my husband's like I don't feel good. I feel lethargic. I just you know I would feel so miserable that I just couldn't like do anything. I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to sit around and just be lazy and I wanted to sleep. And I I told my husband, it's like, I just don't feel good. And he's like, well, take your sugar, check your sugar. And sure enough, it would be four, 500. I mean, it hasn't been, I think the highest my sugar has been in the last 18 months is probably 245. And I think that was right after I got in an altercation and I was so stressed out and angry and upset and everything and that people don't realize how much your emotions have an effect on your blood sugar is like you don't have to eat anything super sweet you start you get sick you you have a fight or you get excited you know if you, any kind of little emotional Thing can trigger your insulin levels or your sugar levels to go higher than you would think. And I never realized that until this last 18 months or so. And I did not realize how much my emotions had to play with my sugar levels. I don't go to vet. I don't go for the tomatoes and the lettuce and everything. I go for ice cream when I'm upset or stressed or cake or something like that. Okay, so what Chris is talking about here is stress and how it impacts what we eat. And in her case, what she eats when she's stressed results in elevated blood sugar, which doesn't serve her goal of managing diabetes. So let's unpack this a bit because there's a few things going on. First of all, as we alluded to before, food is going to affect everyone a little bit differently. So be aware of how specific food affects you as an individual. Symptoms are helpful, but occasionally you may not have symptoms. And that's when glucometers or other tools can be used to know for sure how your body's reacting. I'll discuss some more tools you could use for things other than blood sugar in the Facebook page. So check that out. Next is how stress impacts our food choices. When you're stressed or haven't slept, you may notice that you crave certain foods. Often, these will be the foods that have provided comfort to you in the past. And here's why. When you're stressed or exhausted, the hormones your body uses to control things like hunger and satiety are all out of whack. Plus, it takes a lot more energy to fuel a stressed or tired brain. And there's no easier form of energy than refined carbohydrates and sugar, which for many of us are the go-to foods when feeling stressed or anxious. On top of that, these types of foods, mainly sugar, trigger the reward pathway in our brain. A hormone called dopamine is released, causing us to feel great. The more this happens, the more reward is perceived. And eventually, just walking by a triggering food is going to signal to your brain and body that reward is coming. Prepare. And this makes it very hard to resist. It's not an ideal situation when you're working to improve blood sugar, as in diabetes. It takes a lot of mental energy to plan ahead and prepare for those difficult situations. So, if this applies to you, make sure you take some time to do this to prepare for the inevitable. All right, enough about this. 
If you're curious, though, about my experience and you want to know my go-to food when I'm feeling stressed or haven't slept because a crazy two-year-old primate kept me up all night, then check out our private Facebook page where I'll be sharing all my secrets. All right, let's hear about another type of challenge Chris has come across that may be familiar to you, and let's see what she's done to address it. My schedule right now is like four day, three days of the week. I work till six thirty at six six thirty at night, and two days I work till four in the afternoon. And it's so my dinner times are so erratic; it's pitiful. And my lunch time, there's never a, I'm supposed to go to lunch at twelve, but if I go to lunch before one, a lot of the times it's a miracle. At one point in time, we were eating dinner by 5.30 every night, and we were eating breakfast by 7 in the morning and eating our lunches between 12 and 1. It was on a a good, tight schedule, and it was easy when when I had a different type of job. And now that my job is so erratic, it's kind of hard to... Uh, say okay we need to eat dinner by 6 30 no later than 6 30 it's kind of hard when you get off at work at 6 30 so you know we just kind of play it by ear but well if we have to eat super late generally it's not going to be anything heavy because of course I can't stay up past 10 o'clock at night no matter what I do if I stay up till 10 30 I'm like a zombie and, and it's just that's the hardest thing is is people got to understand your body has to have rest, but it also a schedule sometimes is hard to do. In today's society, it's almost impossible to have a set schedule for your eating and everything. But you try to accommodate it by changing what you eat when you, you know you are going to work later one night. Then okay, eat it a smaller meal or a light meal instead of your normal typical dinner on that night and night that you're going to be home earlier and you know it, then you have your good dinner meal that night. Work schedules. These can be tricky because depending on where you're working, you may not know your schedule from week to week or from day to day. What Chris did by creating a plan for different situations allowed her to avoid the stress of thinking on the fly. She knew what was going to be for dinner. If it's a late night, I'll have a lighter meal. If it's earlier that I get off, I can have my normal big dinner. This is a great insight because having large meals close to bedtime can actually impact your quality of sleep as well as your blood sugar the next morning. Like we mentioned before, thinking through this stuff and creating a plan when you're stressed is not going to happen. So choose a day, a good day, to plan for whatever situations might arise in your life that could throw you off your routine. Then make a backup plan. Because life is going to happen. It's not going to go as planned very often. Sometimes, however, things might just click. Changing our diets has been, I think, the easiest thing for my husband and I to do because we, when, you know, he realized that what I ate 
was going to be an issue. And I was like, you know, and he's like, okay, well, we'll do it. And we did it together instead of me having to try and do it all on my own. I had him to help and he changed his diet with me. So instead of just me changing my diet, it was both of us changing our diet. And then, you know, it's like, okay, we can do this. And my sugars dropped, you know, and I did lose a little bit of weight. I mean, I didn't lose a drastic amount of weight, but I still lost a little bit of weight. Um, I have noticed that um, the holidays, I think, are the hardest. And I, and that's why I don't understand. I hate the holidays. I wish we could skip them. Because everybody, it doesn't matter. It's like I cook. I cooked for Thanksgiving. You know, and my daughter and my uh, and her boyfriend or my daughter's boyfriend says, "Why does she have so many pies? It's only like the five of us." Well, it's habit, and unfortunately, it's a habit you grow you you grow up your entire life. Even our kids, my kids, grew up. You know, you go to your grandparents' house for Thanksgiving or Christmas. There's a pumpkin pie, a pecan pie, apple pie, cherry pie. You know, there's all these different pies. There's more pie than there is food. <laughs> more different flavors of pie than there is food. You got a turkey, you got dressing, you got sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, and dinner rolls, and you know, and ham sometimes. But there was like six pies, but only like eight entre eight things on the table other than pies. It was like okay. And I'm still that way. And even as a diabetic, I, I still do it. But I have cut back some of the sugar in those pies. The one I can't seem to figure out how to make sugar-free is pecan. More pies than food. That's my kind of Thanksgiving. Fun fact, at our wedding, my wife and I did not have a wedding cake. We had everyone bring their favorite kind of pie. It was amazing. But it's hard when you've found that pies, in this case, are not serving your overall health goals. However, Chris has found a way here to reduce the impact of these pies on her blood sugar by changing the recipes, except for that pesky pecan pie. So if you have a pecan pie recipe that has less sugar, throw it in the Facebook page. We all want to know about it. Next. I wanted to find out what really helped Chris along her journey that she didn't quite expect. The support of, um, of some of my children, you know, um, my oldest daughter and uh, my middle daughter both live fairly close to me and they both were very aware and Whenever I would be around them, they would make the effort to make sure, you know, hey, we can't have that mom's here, you know, trying to, you know, not tempt fate, basically. Um, and just having a, someone like you who actually listened to my concerns and, and actually listened to me and not try to talk to me like I was an idiot. Or tell me, oh, no, that's not the case. Or, 
if you would just do this, you know, I've been told by one of one doctor she t- or one physician assistant, she told me, well, if you just lose weight, you wouldn't be a diabetic anymore. Or, you know, I have severe neuropathy. <laughs> and unfortunately, I did not know that I have had neuropathy for 20 plus years. I just thought it was just normal aches and pains in my feet from being a waitress for 30 years. And come to find out, no, it's not normal. <laughs> uh, and have someone speak to me like a human instead of a number, basically. You got 15, 20 minutes in the doctor's office and they, you know, you try to explain to them this, this, and this, and they don't want to listen. They just telling you, okay, this is what your blood work says. This is what you need to do and da-da-da and da-da-da and not listen to you because you can tell someone all day long what they need to do, but you also need to listen to them and see what their hurdles are and where they are on trying to get over that hurdle. And if you, if the doctor says, okay, well, let's try this to try and get you over that hurdle. And instead of saying, oh, well, if you would just try harder or, something like that. I've had that been told to me. If you would just try harder, you you sugars wouldn't be that bad. And I was like, I'm trying. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. You know, and that's the key is you read anything and everything you can find about whatever it is you, you're dealing with. And if you have questions, write them down. <laughs> I've went into your office once or twice with a list of things that okay I got these questions and this is what I'm going through and I always and that's the key is always if you you don't know or if you think you're going to forget about it or you're afraid you're going to talk you aren't going to remember what you need to ask write it down always write down your questions because if you've got a good doctor they will listen to you and they won't and they'll actually say okay well Let's see what we can do about this part of it and work on it. They may not be able to do all of it at once, but work on it a little at a time. All right. Chris mentioned the support of her family. This is very important and can really be a game changer. However, it's not something that everyone has. You may be someone who's taking this journey all on your own, and that can feel pretty isolating and even impossible when you're trying to make that change. Like Harry Potter. Every time he leaves Hogwarts, he's stuck at home, surrounded by muggles, no one to talk magic with. If this is you, the the feeling alone part, not the wizarding thing. Although, if that's you, definitely reach out because that would be awesome. But anyways, if you're currently going on this journey alone, please take advantage of our online community, our private Facebook page, We're all there to help and encourage each other throughout our health journeys. Okay, so Chris mentions the importance of meeting someone where they're at. Where are you in the stages of change? Maybe you're in a place where you just need more information. Maybe you're in the planning stage. Or maybe you're going for it and implementing that change already. Remember Monica back in episode 3? We took a look at these stages of change in some detail. If you missed that, go back, check it out. And the Facebook page will have some more information too. 
All right, let's find out what Chris wishes she had known years ago before her struggles with diabetes began. I wish I'd have known that, you know, taking, well, I was, I guess taking better care of myself when I was younger would have been like the biggest key. And unfortunately, you know, I was a single mom for the majority of my kids' lives. Um, so they they were my number one priority. I always fell to the back burner. Um, the only time I ever seen a doctor was when I was usually deathly ill and I went to the hospital emergency room. I didn't see a doctor, doctor 90% of the time. I don't think I ever really seen a doctor until I was in my forties on a regular basis. Um, I always, my kids always had doctors and always, I always kept up with their doctor's appointments, but not mine. Yeah. And I wish I had, I wish I had taken better care of myself when I was younger and paid attention to what people always told me because, you know, unfortunately I, both sets of my grandparents are diabetics, um, or were diabetics, I should. I guess I could should say, and everybody's like, "Oh, it skips a generation." Da da da. You're gonna get diabetes. Da da da. And I'm like, "Oh, whatever." You know, it's that's just no wives' tale. You know, diabetes. You know, and it's like, who says diabetes is hereditary? <laughs> the doctors say that. I wish I'd have paid more attention to that when I was younger. Uh, I might not have been able to prevent the diabetes. But I could have been a little bit more prepared for it than it slapping me in the face the way it did because I kind of found out because I passed out at work and went to the hospital and my sugar was 674. And I was like, what? What does that mean? And then... <laughs> And she looked straight at me. The The emergency room doctor said, you're a diabetic. And I'm like, no, I've got hypoglycemia. I've been hypoglycemic for since I was 17. And they're like, uh, yeah, no, you're a diabetic now. And that was the big slap in the face. Like, holy crap, what happened? You know, thing is like if I had seen a doctor on a regular basis, it probably wouldn't have gotten out of as out of hand as it did. And I may not have actually had to be insulin dependent from day one. The biggest thing I can tell anyone and everyone is you're worth it. Don't ever think that you're not and don't ever let anyone tell you you're not. You have to take care of you because if you don't take care of your body and your mind, then you are not going to be of any use to anyone that you love. Yes, you are worth it. And taking care of yourself doesn't mean you aren't caring for the people you love. In fact, by demonstrating self-care to the little monsters running around your house, even the older grumpier monsters, you are showing them how important it is to take care of your body. Well, we've heard some great stuff in this episode, including how erratic work schedules make planning meals difficult and what to do about it, 
the importance of finding support while on your health journey, and how stress can impact our food choices. It's not pretty. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Chris, because I know I did. Well, we'll see you next time. If you enjoy Talk Health, please help me spread the word by sharing this episode with your friends and family and following us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you don't want to miss an episode, make sure to subscribe. Also, join the private Facebook page where you'll find resources and tools to assist you on your health journey, plus occasional challenges related to one of our episodes. But more importantly, you'll get the support of our community so that we can all help each other make real change. Just search Talk Health Community on Facebook and request to join. I'll see you in there. Finally, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose or treat any disease. All right. Well, we will see you next time. Bye. It's Tom, and this is episode six of Talk Health, and hopefully what I've put out there so far has been helpful to you in one way or another. But I wanted to jump on here this week to just chat, chat a little bit about some things. So I'm going to dive in. All right, as, as a medical practitioner in the healthcare system of today, there are some limitations to how us as practitioners are able to provide the care that you deserve. First, the time that we have with you is severely limited. We get about 15 minutes, maybe 30 if we're lucky, to help you navigate through what could be several chronic conditions. And typically during these short office visits, the inevitable recommendation of eat healthy and exercise more will come up, whatever that means. And when you walk out of the office, you're on your own. And, and that's not fair. You're left by yourself to figure out what it means to, to pursue this health journey, become healthy, whatever, again, whatever that means to you. And, you know, how are we supposed to change something that we may not even know is an issue, right? In last week's episode, we talked about the stages of change. And we are all very much in our own worlds as it relates to our habits and the mechanisms and systems behind those habits, which have been built over many, many years. So, so that a little bit of a rant from me, if you will. So that, that's the challenge. You go to the clinic or the office or whatever it might be, you get some recommendations, you walk out and you're on your own, then what? Okay, it's hard. As we talked about before, there's so much information out there, you know, that it is super overwhelming, okay? So my attempt in creating this space, this podcast, my frustration really is that, you know, I, I want to provide a space that is a safe space to go for support for you along this health journey. And, and so we're in this together. I want this to be a useful resource for you wherever you're at, 
whether you're just starting to plan your actionable steps or whether you're, you know, you're full blown in it and you're, you're moving forward. Or you're just thinking about it, wherever. But I want this to be a space where you can come for tools and to hear people like you that are going through very similar paths. So I just want to say thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope you continue to listen as we build this together. And I look forward to any and all recommendations of what you feel is going to be most helpful in the context of what this space is meant to be. Because it's meant to support you along your health journey. So please jump in that Facebook group because I want to hear directly from you what is helping, what's not, what can we do better here, okay, to get you resources and the support that you need along your journey. All right. Well, thanks again. And look out for next week. We have an awesome conversation coming up with Leila with Lee. We're going to talk about some awesome stuff. So make sure to tune in. And as always, the obligatory, this podcast is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical condition. All right. We will talk soon. Bye now.